it's important to recognize that we're going to go through seasons in our relationships. So Maria, like after we have children, right? If I was someone who was a quality time and physical touch before having a child afterwards, my quality of time, my quality time and physical touch is going all towards holding my new baby. And so maybe what I need more around that time is acts of service. So I like to encourage that flexibility when it comes to thinking about love languages. everyone. I'm Maria Sansone and welcome to another edition of Mom to Mom, the podcast. Today we are diving into relationships. We are going there and specifically we're talking a lot about love languages. Have you ever looked into the love languages and which one you are and which one your partner is? It is fascinating and I can't wait to dig into this today. So how are the relationships in your life? Do you feel like They could use a little love, literally and figuratively. Well, today my guest is here to help us out. Dr. Tracy Dalgleish is going to give us some tips to strengthen our relationships in our life, establish and honor boundaries, which can be so hard. I'll admit that's tough for me. And better connect with the people that we love. She is a relationship expert. She's an author. She's a podcaster and a mom of two. And she is taking real intentional steps and having thoughtful conversations about relationships and sharing it all with us. So many great takeaways. So here is my chat with Dr. Tracy. Dr. Tracy, hi. Welcome to Mom to Mom. Welcome to the Mom Cave. Thank you so much, Maria, for inviting me here. I'm so excited to be sitting with you and having this conversation. Always good to have a doctor in the house, especially a psychologist and a couples therapist. So I think there's so many of us who could use you. And we're going to tap into all of your knowledge today, especially because relationships are always difficult. I just feel like in the last couple of years that relationships across the board have become so much more challenging because of everything that's been going on. So we need you. And I'm just so happy you're here. Thank you. And, you know, I think the important thing to recognize is that nobody really prepared us in terms of connecting and communicating in our partnerships during a pandemic. So let's acknowledge that at just how hard this time has been for for many people. So, so much to dig into, but I think a good place to start and an exciting place for me to start is with the love languages. When I found out about love languages, it was one of those aha moments, as Oprah would say, my mind was sort of like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that people have these love languages. So for people out there who aren't familiar with that, could you walk us through the love languages, and then we'll kind of get into why acknowledging that and knowing which one you have and what your partner has and and why that's important. Absolutely. And I love hearing that you had this aha moment because many of the couples I work with have that moment as well of being able to acknowledge, oh, this is how I like to receive love. And this is how I like to give love. And that's really what this is about. So Gary Chapman found that there are these five common love languages and it's about how we like to receive love and how we like to give. So the first one is acts of service. Acts of service 
service is where your partner is trying to make your life easier in some way. That could be through something big, like doing the chores, doing the dishes, taking the kids out, or it could be through something small, like pouring you a cup of coffee, getting you a glass of water. That's the first one. The second one is through gifts. Now, when I talk about gifts, I think it's important for people to remember it's not about the monetary value in terms of what you're showing your partner. It could be something small, right? Like you've picked up a coffee for them. But the idea around that is that it's some kind of visual symbol of the love that you hold for the other person. The third one is words of affirmation. I think many women can relate to this one, which is around that expression of appreciation, of gratitude, of compliments, really telling your partner how much you love and care for them. The fourth one is through physical touch. And that is often through hugging, through kissing, cuddling on the couch, through sex. And the fifth one is around quality time. And quality time is really about that intentional, uninterrupted time together. So if you're sitting on the couch watching TV together, quality time is not going to be you scrolling on your phone sitting beside your partner, right? But quality time can be you talking about what you're watching together. It can be you going on a date and having a new experience together. I would think, and tell me in your practice, but I would think quality time has suffered a lot since the introduction of social media. (laughs) Because, you know, maybe, yeah, we used to sit next to each other and watch TV and zone out a little bit, but now we are just like scrolling and you're there, but like the lights are on, but no one's home. It's the idea of we're connecting with everybody out in the world and not the person right beside us, right? That we're so curious about what everybody else is doing. And really what we need to be doing is start getting curious about the person sitting beside us and putting Mm -hmm. our energy to that person. And that can really just be something as simple as making the choice to put your phone in the other room between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m., putting your your notifications on silence so that you're not being pinged and drawn towards your phone. Now, can you be a few different love languages or do you, is it one or nothing? No, there's going to be top primary ones. So if you take their free quiz that Gary Chapman has, you can do a Google search to find it. You're going to find your top three. So it's not just one, it's going to be some of them. And I also think what's important to recognize is that when we take a quiz like this, it doesn't mean that this is the way I want love all of the time. It's important to recognize that we're going to go through seasons in our relationships. So Maria, like after we have children, right? If I was someone who was a quality time and physical touch before having a child afterwards my quality of time my quality time and physical touch is going all towards holding my new baby and so maybe what I need more around that time is acts of service so I like to encourage that flexibility when it comes to thinking about love languages and I think we'll dig into that postpartum time a little bit more because that is such a crucial time but it's such a strange time and um vulnerable time. So we'll talk about that and how to protect our relationships in postpartum. But I kind of want to go back to communicating and, you know, now you've identified maybe what your love language is and what your partner's is. Uh I even, when I read the book about love languages, noticed in my own family, my mom's love language, you know, and, and it really did help me. It helped me in a lot of my relationships, not just a romantic relationship. So something to think about, right? Absolutely. I can think of my son. He's 
going to be seven soon. And he just loves gifts. He will leave us pictures drawn on our bed and he'll ask the next day, did you get my gift? Did you get my picture? And I see when he receives a gift, just how much that fills him up, which I think is another important piece to, to note is that we often give to other people in the way that we like to receive Mm -hmm. rather than tuning into our partners or our kids or our parents and saying, Hmm, how do they feel loved? What would help them to feel seen, validated and important? That makes a lot of sense. Now, let's say that you have, you know, you understand, okay, my love language is affirmations, positive affirmations. Do you think it's a good idea to tell your partner like, hey, I've discovered that this is the way I like to receive love? Like, do you recommend having that conversation with them and just communicating it? Absolutely. This is a space of really deepening our awareness and our understanding of each other. So any kind of tool that we can use, whether it's the love languages or if we're talking about, you know, Enneagram is another big one that people are into using any of these tools to help deepen our connection with our partners, to build our understanding with each other is just so important. And I always say that it's how we go about communicating with our partner that really matters. So if we're going to go to our partner and say, you never, I've taken this quiz, you never spend quality time with me. We have not opened the door for communication and understanding in that statement. You're starting with a negative, which seems like probably a bad idea. Absolutely. Right. And I like to think of this in terms of cups and buckets. So if we can go to our partner and say, you know, I, I've got this bucket and my bucket is about words of affirmation. And I love when you tell me that you are grateful for me, that you appreciate what I'm doing. But right now, I think my bucket is really empty. And I'm wondering how we could talk about maybe you meeting some of that need that I have there. So what if you find yourself in kind of a negative communication pattern and mm. you're kind of coming at your partner with a lot of that, you never and you always and blah, 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 blah. How do you suggest shifting that into more of a positive exchange? Yeah, that's such an important one. And I think when it comes to those negative communication patterns, we want to understand that what's happening here is we're having a lot of displays of negative emotions, like anger and frustration. We're having a lot of unmet needs and longings. There's a lot of blame and hostility, and there's this sense of withdrawal between partners. And so ultimately they're having this disconnection. And what I see in these negative patterns is that partners show up in my office saying they don't help out with the dishes. You know, we're fighting about who's with the kids but there's always the stuff that's deeper underneath there. Mm -hmm. So how can we shift from negative to positive? It's about really going into what's underneath the anger and frustration. I'm sure you've seen the analogy of the iceberg where the tip of the iceberg is just that small bit that you see where there's the anger. And then underneath is the great mass of the iceberg with the depression, sadness, pain, loneliness, isolation. And so if we're trying to shift into that positive communication, we want to touch on those softer and core feelings that invite our partner to come and be closer to us. So things like, I feel alone. I need time together and really being able to access this inside deeper stuff rather than the, you never help out. You're always on your phone, right? That's that criticism. Yeah. I wonder if you see this all the time, but I'm thinking of my personal experience. The more frustrated I get, the more Mm -hmm. closed off I become. 
Of course. Absolutely. Right. right? So then to get out of that cycle. Yeah. So then the communications just shut down because I'm like, I can't, I just, I can't even. So if you find yourself in that place, like what is actually something tangible you can do? Because sometimes it does feel like a cycle, right? Like you're just off track. You're not on the same page. Is there something you can actually do to kind of like snap out of that? My, my biggest piece of advice around that is to just take a pause is to just step back, take a pause and agree to come back to talk about this at another time. Because Maria, what's happening in that moment is that you are becoming dysregulated or the other word that's used is flooded. Dr. Dan Siegel likes to talk about is the window of tolerance. You're no longer in your window of tolerance. And I see this with clients in my office where if one partner is getting into that frustrated cycle, the other partner will actually start to cross their arms. They'll start to shake their leg and they'll look away. And this is the biggest cue to someone that I'm not interested in what you're saying. But what's actually happening in that moment is they are flooded, they're dysregulated, and they can't possibly connect their feelings and their thoughts together. So you can't compromise. You can't come through that, right? So taking a break has to be at least 20 minutes for your nervous system to downregulate, come back, agree as a couple to come back to this issue at another time, and then try communicating about it again maybe accessing it from a different way of, hmm, you know, I think last time I got into that critical space and I was really frustrated. So taking ownership and then being able to share with your partner, I think what I'm really trying to say is I'm feeling a little lost and I need some support or I need more help and whatever that looks like. There's this other key here though, that remember in a relationship that there's always our individual stuff. And then we have our dynamic that happens with our partner. And so it would be your partner's job then to also show up in that situation with you to be able to see if you're getting frustrated or upset. And instead of them kind of I like to say like they're upping the ante by saying, oh yeah, you're frustrated. Well, I was da, 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 Mm. or getting more defensive. Our partners can also make the choice to be able to say, what's happening for you here? Can you really help me understand what you're struggling with? Dr. Tracy, this is such good stuff. I promised we would talk about the postpartum time. I know for me, it was a very difficult time. I had undiagnosed postpartum depression, anxiety. um, And so I was so out of whack. And uh, I know a lot of women suffer from that. And a lot of women actually Mm -hmm. don't actually have anything clinically going on, but it's just a, a very vulnerable time. So how can you protect your relationships, especially the intimate relationship with your partner or significant other um, during that time? Yeah, I like to really think about small things frequently when it comes to our relationship postpartum. And I also want to normalize just how unprepared we are as women, as mothers, as couples entering into the postpartum period. You spend all of your energy nurturing each other before having a baby, and then nobody told you what to expect afterwards. So all of that energy goes to this dependent little being, and you aren't able to share what you're feeling and needing. You don't talk about roles that you should be doing. Um, You don't know how to kind of wave the flag and say, I need help. Please, someone come and help me. Right. So how normal it is to struggle in this period, I think, is a huge piece of compassion that all mothers need to acknowledge. All parents and couples 
need to acknowledge during this period. So what can we do to manage that? First, if you are soon to have your second baby or your first or your fourth, have a conversation with your partner. Talk about what roles you envision playing as this parent. Talk about what roles you saw your caregivers playing and how you maybe want to be the same or different. Talk about how you want to signal for that support. Is it that I'm crying frequently and what would it be, what would help me in those moments to be able to get through that? I also think that in terms of protecting our relationship, we really need to tap into those daily rituals of connection. We all had these things that we would do at the beginning of our relationship. We would send texts of gratitude or appreciation. We would greet each other at the door. We would hug and kiss in the morning. We would be so excited to see each other. Find those small things that you can do to be able to build that. It's like building a connection during the day. That's nice. I like that. That's good stuff. All right. So let's talk about in general about boundaries. Mm. Uh, We know, and we've talked on this show many, many times. It comes up in so many different conversations about just getting through as a mom. Um, But boundaries are so important. So to start, how would you, how would you even define boundaries? I would define a boundary as a line. It's like an invisible line between you and I, and that behind this line are all of my thoughts and feelings and needs. And my responsibility is to communicate that to you on the other side. And I think when we're talking about boundaries, what we're talking actually about is whose responsibility is what, and what is within my control. So I can't control someone else respecting my boundary. I can only control me respecting my boundary. And I like to say, if you do not respect your boundary, how can you expect anybody else to respect that boundary? Now we know what boundaries are, but Mm -hmm. how do we, I guess, enforce them? Because I know as women, it's very difficult, especially as a mom. And if you've got people relying on you and you've got family members pulling on you and kids and extended family and friends and community and job, it becomes very overwhelming. And saying no can be really, really hard. And to emphasize that, Maria, boundaries are a skill. They're not something that we learn growing up. I mean, I think many people can relate to the story where they might've said, no, I don't want to give grandma a kiss. And someone said, no, we always give grandma a kiss when we leave, go, right? And that, that's right. an example as a child where your boundary wasn't respected or you had, had your door closed. No, get out of my room. And that was violated, right? So boundaries are a skill, acknowledging that they're hard. Let's do an example. So the example would be, say your mother or your mother-in-law says, shouldn't, shouldn't you be done nursing your baby now? Like, why are you still doing this? So an example of a boundary. Them are fighting <laughs> words. <laughs> but this kind of stuff happens all the time, all the time. All the time. And so the example of the boundary would be, you know, I know how much you love being grandma. We love you being part of this role with us. This isn't something that I'm willing to talk about. And then moving on from there. And so what the two key pieces that I'm doing there is I'm expressing and I'm empathizing with the other person. That question comes from a place of love. Most people don't ask questions to really dig at you. Comes from a place of love. I'll acknowledge that, what you're trying to do. And I'm also stating what I don't want you to do. Yeah. And I'm just going to hold that and be consistent. But Maria, you know, the challenge with this is that what we tend to do, and I'm curious if you can relate to this, is we start to over-explain our boundary because we have to justify it. And we'll start to like give out the research of why we're still doing this and do all of the things. And when we do that, we start watering down the boundary message. And so really boundaries are about being clear, 
simple and notice that I'm not even saying this is my boundary. Hey mom, you've crossed my boundary. I'm not even saying that because that tends to trigger defensiveness from other people. Yeah. And what about, you know, I don't think anyone is really comfortable when people are upset with them, but when you have boundaries, it may be upsetting to some people and you may be disappointing people because everyone wants a piece of you. I can think in an example when when I was having my daughter, it was my first baby. And I wanted, I, it was probably the only time in my life I ever really set some boundaries. Cause I had a vision of what I wanted those first few days, like, and what I wanted the birth plan, like, and of course we know the best laid plans, right. <laughs> but at least I wanted some idea of, I have a lot of family and I kind of wanted to just have our own little family unit. And I remember having those conversations and I remember people in my family getting upset with me that they weren't going to be a part of that time. And I had to put my foot down, but I also had to get comfortable with, you know, people being kind of like mad at me. And when it's your own mom or your own parents, it's stressful. Um, So that's probably a skill as well. It's incredibly stressful. And I love to think of what a gift it is that your family are going to be your boundary teachers. Eh? If we could read the, like view them, like they're going to teach you how to set boundaries or your child's going to teach you how to set boundaries. And really what the boundaries are about, it's that we want to make sure we know and understand and trust that our boundary is not you being mean. It's not your attempt to exclude people. It's about actually including people in a way that feels good for you. That's going to work, right? Because you can imagine then, okay, I'll I'll let my boundary go and everybody's over visiting me and baby girl during the special time that I wanted. You're going to grow feelings of resentment, of anger, of hurt, and that will come out in your relationship at some other way. So we've been talking so much about boundaries and you just mentioned kids. And I would think, like we've been saying, this is kind of a skill. It's almost like a muscle that you need to build. So as a parent, are there ways that we can start our kids young understanding boundaries and how to advocate for themselves and how to say no Yeah, absolutely. Modeling is one of the most important things that we want to do. So it's not just about saying to your children, hey, make sure you say no if you want to, right? That that is not as effective as being able to model something for your child. So that might look like you practicing saying no in front of them. So it might be, um, you know, I can think of my daughter the other day really wanted me to play for longer. I had to say no. I said, I do need to go take a break. I'm going to go. Truthfully, I had to go regulate myself and to tap into some more calm moments before I could continue with her demands, which was great, right? Because what I'm modeling is I can't be available to you and meet your every need. And that's okay. So I'm modeling that to my child that I also get to have a break. Or if I'm drinking my coffee in the morning, I'm saying, I'm going to drink my coffee while it's hot and I'll play with you after. Mm -hmm. And while that might be hard for them, what I say is I see that you're having a lot of feelings around this and that's hard. And I'm going to play with you after. So I'm modeling what it looks like to have a healthy boundary. And at the same time, when they say no, I am honoring their boundary. I honor the no within the realm of what's possible, right? If they're saying, no, I'm not wearing clothes to school, we do have to put clothes on to go to school. I think when it comes to really modeling what it means to have a healthy relationship with yourself, with other people, with a partner, we want to show some of those key things to them. And when I think of two parents, I think it's so powerful to make mistakes in front of our children 
and to show them that you own your mistakes, that you apologize, you're easily Mm. willing to say sorry in front of them and to say, you know, mommy makes mistakes too. And what's important is that I'm saying sorry and I'm connecting with my partner and I'm showing them what physical affection looks like. And they're learning in that moment, what does it mean to be healthy and talk about these hard things in a relationship? Mommy sure does make mistakes every day. We all do. All right. One last thing. You are a doctor. You are a psychologist. You know all the science behind this. You help people with this every day. Mm. Do you still get it wrong sometimes? Oh my goodness. (laughs) I am human first. Yes, absolutely. And Maria, truthfully, one of the most powerful things I have learned to do in my relationship, I've gotten better over time. I am faster to apologize. So there are times where I'm in a blaming space and I say, oh, you never help out with you know, my partner does help out. They do their things, but, and I go back and I say, ah, just, I was heated there. I got frustrated and all the things. I like that. I laugh a lot. We can all learn from that. For me, I know that's a muscle that I could definitely exercise a little bit more. The, I'm sorry, I apologize one. Um, This was great. Dr. Tracy, where can everyone find you online? You're a great follow on Instagram, by the way. Thank you, Maria. Yes, I'm on all the social media platforms, Dr. Tracy D, or find me on my website. Join me in my online learning programs, drtracyd.com. Oh, I appreciate you so much. This was so helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Maria, for inviting me into your space. Thank you so much to my guest, Dr. Tracy, today for all of that great information. And thank you all for tuning in here on mom to mom Remember, if you are in the Boston area, you can watch mom to mom the TV show. That's on Mondays at 1130 a.m. And as always, you can catch all these episodes of mom to mom the podcast wherever you find your podcast. I also ask you nicely to rate and review if you can, because that's how other people can find us out there. That's a wrap for us. That's all my business. And I I will see you back here next week on Mom to Mom.